Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is, episode 92, for the love of the game. Right. We're back at it, let's roll. It's Dipset Rich. Dig go, baby, don't stop now. Dig go, baby, don't stop now. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 92 for the love of the game. It's been too long. Way, way, way too long since the last episode. And yes, a lot has happened, uh, including the Lakers won the NBA title, whatever, uh, and will be discussed on tonight's episode. It's weird. We just went through a stretch where the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB were all playing at once. Uh, congrats to the LA Dodgers for winning the World Series. More on that to come. But yeah, now it's just NFL and college football, which is crazy since we went from such a sports overload just a couple of weeks ago to now a little bit of a waiting game for the NBA to come back, for the NHL to come back, Major League Baseball is in his offseason. So yeah, it's been a wild ride to say the least. The Masters is coming up soon, so that's something to look forward to. But yeah, really crazy ride the last couple of weeks in, uh, for sports fans. A couple of NFL thoughts quickly before we get into uh, the meat and and potatoes of tonight's episode. The Patriots are just bad. And the Bills, who look to be the class of the AFC East, well, they aren't really anything special either, it seems, but the Patriots are toast this year. Yeah, a lot of guys opted out of the season because of COVID-19, and that has definitely hurt them for sure. But the real issue is that Belichick, as great of a coach as he is, and as smart as of a GM as he's been, he has basically whiffed on every single draft in the last seven years. The Patriots haven't drafted a really good player in the first or second round since Chandler Jones. Turns out that Tom Brady and his greatness covers up a lot of issues for the New England Patriots. Am I happy to see the Patriots stink this year? Yes, yes I am. Uh, I'm relishing in it, to be totally honest. But speaking of the AFC East, the Dolphins, a team that no one expected to be as competitive as they are. Well, they might be the best team in the division. They made the switch over to rookie Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback. And yeah, he wasn't great in his first start, but they play really, really hard. They're competitive on defense. And Brian Flores seems to be the real deal at coach. The Jets are so very bad. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm trying to pull an Eli Manning or a John Elway and avoiding the Jets any way I possibly can. I mean, if the Jets don't get him this year, they can easily go 0-16 next year and draft him. But yeah, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm trying to avoid that like the plague somehow. Four, the loser of the previous year's Super Bowl curse, well, it's real and has reared his ugly head again this year. The 49ers, well, I mean, they've just been a disaster. They got hit by the injury bug so hard. I mean, they just lost George Kittle. They lost, just lost quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. 
I heard somewhere that of their 53-man roster, they have over 20 injuries, over 20 injuries. It's over 40% of the roster. I mean, it's ridiculous. Tough, tough break for them because when they're healthy, they're a really good team with a really, really good coach. And as for that division as a whole, man, it's the best division in football. And they will probably get three playoff teams this year. And if the 49ers are healthy, they probably would have gotten four. And, yes, I still think the Rams are good, even though they looked like a complete disaster last Sunday. Uh, Jared Goff was terrible. But I'm still buying Rams stock, and I actually think Jared Goff is a little bit better than what he showed last Sunday. As for Seattle, well, they have the MVP of the league, and they have the inside track to be the number one seed in the NFC. I think they're actually going to be the number one seed in the NFC. Now, their defense needs a little bit of work. They just got Carlos Dunlap. Jamal Adams is coming back, so we'll see what happens with them. And Arizona, Kyler Murray is exciting. They put up points. They're competitive. Uh, I like what they're doing over in Arizona. I like what K- Cliff Kingsbury has going on over there. Five, quick Giants update. Uh, the defense, not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Way better than expected. James Bradbury at corner is awesome. Blake Martinez has been good. Leonard Williams, the much maligned Leonard Williams, has been solid as well. But the offense, I mean, I just hate Evan Ingram. And it was so incredibly evident on the Thursday night loss against the Eagles two weeks ago. The drop that just completely ended the game. Um, You got to catch that third down pass. I've just, I've had it with him. I, I don't care what the stats say anything. He's just bad. He doesn't make plays. And I think the Daniel Jones thing is over. I know it's early, but he makes way too many mistakes. And for the love of God, can you complete more than one deep ball? I mean, this past Monday night, he had guys open deep all night against Tampa, all night. And he only hit one, ironically, to Evan Ingram, who finally decided to catch the ball. So for the Giants, I want the whole regime out. I know Joe Judge is a good coach, but I want Gettleman out. If that means Joe Judge is sacrificed so that the next GM can pick the coach, so be it. And I think it's time to move on to Daniel Jones and look at uh, taking another quarterback high in the first round this coming draft. And at six, last thing on the NFL, uh, Lamar Jackson. He's just not that good. He's nowhere near Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. That's clear. He's not Rodgers. Brady or Deshaun Watson either. He's just a tier below those guys. He just is. His MVP last year was a farce. And he's just not good enough to win big regular season games, let alone playoff games right now. Can he get there eventually? Maybe. But right now, he's just not in that class. And for anyone saying to me, well, what's with your love affair with Deshaun Watson? I mean, just look at the tape, not this year, but the previous years. And look what he's done with that team with the lack of the offensive line, uh, the way he's made plays in the passing game specifically and in the running game. I mean, if you gave Deshaun Watson Baltimore's roster, they would be playing in the Super Bowl. I am 1,000% sure of this. I mean, right now is currently constituted. This Ravens team is losing in the first round of the playoffs, and it's because Lamar Jackson's honestly holding them back. As for other quarterbacks that are overrated, We'll switch over to the NFC for a second. I mean, this Carson Wentz thing is a mess with the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, he's what Daniel Jones seems to aspire to be in terms of bad decisions and holding on to the ball too long. And if I were a GM or a coach, I would want zero part of a player like that, of a quarterback like that, whether it's 
Carson Wentz or Daniel Jones. And I may have to apologize to Dak Prescott after being super hard on him, but it looks like him being out is going to make him a lot, a lot of money in the next, uh, this coming off season. I hope he gets back from that gruesome injury um, because it's apparent that the Cowboys really need him, even though the Cowboys were losing tons of games, even when he was healthy and putting up big numbers. So on to the NBA, some news here. And yes, I will be discussing this year's NBA champions at length on this show shortly. I'm not running away from it. I know I've been anti-Lakers for a while. I don't particularly like LeBron James, but it will be discussed. There will be nice things said about LeBron, but a couple of topics to hit on first. Big news out of Houston. So Daryl Morey, uh, who left the Houston Rockets, has now joined the 76ers as the president of basketball operations. Now, obviously, this raises eyebrows and speculation about the 76ers trading either Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. And naturally, the logical trade partner may be the Houston Rockets and James Harden. Daryl Morey seems to like threes. The 76ers don't shoot a lot of them, and they don't shoot them very well. Houston may be in a position to shake things up, considering what's going on with ownership. That team may have plateaued a little bit. And they would require another all-star, another star in return. And Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid would for sure qualify uh, as stars in return. But Sixers fans, I don't think you should want this trade. Because as frustrating as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are, there's still a little bit of unknowns. Ben Simmons is a super versatile defender. He's a supremely unique offensive player, whether he's running the point or whether he can be like uh, a Draymond Green 5.0 as a, as a screener, as a role man. I mean, he's just such a unique player if he ever learns to shoot. And Joel Embiid, if he hits his ceiling, he's one of the top three players in the NBA. I mean, his points per possession on post-ups was close to 1.2 points per possession. That in and of itself is arguably, or I should say not arguably, statistically one of the two or three most efficient offenses in the league. That's just a Joel Embiid post-up. For all those saying that the post-up is dead, Joel Embiid on post-ups is one of the most efficient offenses in the entire NBA. And he's an incredibly impactful defensive player as well. Now, there are tons of questions with Joel Embiid in terms of his work ethic, in terms of his conditioning. But if he reaches his peak, he is one of the three best players in basketball. He is. He just is. I know there are a lot of Joel Embiid haters right now, and it's kind of warranted after the way the Sixers bowed out. But he's gotten better every single year. He seems to have shaken the major injury bug, knock on wood. So, yeah, if that guy reaches his peak, He's way better than James Harden. So yeah, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together and individually are still a little bit of unknowns. You know what's not an unknown? James Harden. You know what I know for a fact about James Harden is that he's a loser. He's a loser who always comes up small in the playoffs. So as great as it may seem now, consider all, all the gaudy numbers he puts up, I would not trade things that are still a little bit of an unknown that could be super great for a known quantity in James Harden. I just wouldn't do it. I think, you know, if you're trading Joel Embiid for James Harden, you're selling low on Joel Embiid. 
That's my personal opinion. Oh, and I've been proven right about this over and over again when James Harden continuously chokes in the playoffs. But yeah, in terms of that speculation, you're going to see a lot of rumors on trades between the Houston Rockets and the Philadelphia 76ers. But I'm not so sure that Daryl Morey in his first year is going to look to break up the Joel Embiid Ben Simmons combo. I think he's going to give it a year with Doc Rivers, and then we'll take it from there. But right now, I would not trade Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons, for that matter, for James Harden. There have been a couple of coaching moves. Additionally, Mike D'Antoni is now an assistant coach with the New Jersey, I should say the Brooklyn Nets. See, no one really cares about the Nets. He joins Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, too, who will be an assistant coach on Nash's uh, coaching staff. I think it's just a weird move. Uh, I thought Dan Tony would land somewhere uh, as the head coach. As for Nash, like I know first-time coaches, having experienced guys on their staff is good. But someone of Dan Tony's caliber and Steve Nash and Mike Dan Tony have a great relationship. But I wouldn't want to be looking over my shoulder to the guy who's an assistant who's been exceedingly successful in his career if I'm Steve Nash and I'm doing this for the first time, like if I'm going to be the head guy, I want to be the lead voice. That's just how it is. And I, I don't know. I just think it's a weird move. As for replacing Dan Tony in Houston, it'll be Steven Silas, the son of Paul Silas, NBA uh, lifer. Hope he does well. And for all those who claim that black coaches don't get a chance in the NBA, <clears throat> Stephen A. Smith, <clears throat> uh, for the record now, uh, Doc Rivers, Ty Lue, and Steven Salas are all coaching new teams this season, upcoming season. So not everything's a race issue. Maybe people are hired based on their qualifications and fit and not just about race. Oh, and my guy Ryan Rosillo had an amazing rant on his podcast about Mark Jackson and why Mark Jackson hasn't gotten another coaching job in the NBA. Since Mark Jackson seems to be the example used by all those who try to cry racism for not hiring black coaches. Mark Jackson ran an incredibly simplistic offense with the Warriors, and they won the title after he was gone. He basically didn't get along with an entire organization. 95% of the team, or I should say the people in the organization, and that goes beyond the players, talking about front office and everything, didn't like Mark Jackson. If you listen to him on the broadcasts with Jeff and Gundy, he's incredibly simplistic. He doesn't say anything of nuance or substance, and Jeff Van Gundy runs laps around him in terms of his knowledge of basketball and nuance when calling a game. So yeah, for all those reasons, maybe those are the reasons that Mark Jackson hasn't gotten a job in the NBA and not about the color of his skin. But yet, Ryan Rosillo said it way better than I could, so if you want to check that out, I suggest you give it a listen after you listen to me, of course. So yeah, that's a little bit of coaching news, but I'm so tired of this narrative of, of race being involved in sports. Not everything is a race issue. And lastly, before bringing on tonight's guest, uh, the start of the NBA season seems to be a little up in the air. Now, the owners want to start December 22nd so they can have 72 games in this season, get the regional sports network dollars, and really lock that in considering they probably won't have fans because if they don't have 72 regular season games, they are due to lose an extra half a billion to a billion dollars on top of what they're already losing for not having fans at the gate. It also allows them to reset the schedule and the NBA calendar and save the 21-22 season, 
where things should be get back to normal, the schedule should be back to normal, and there will be fans in the seats. I know the Lakers and LeBron James specifically wants to wait a little bit because of the quick turnaround from the time that the playoffs ended, and I get it, I really do, but the players need to understand that if they don't want to play games, they don't make a lot of money, and not everyone is at the level financially or and stability-wise as LeBron James is because the owners could blow up the CBA and negotiate a new one with the players. And in this case, the players would have far less leverage in negotiation than they had before due to the whole financial aspect of it and, and what happened with coronavirus. So yeah, the majority of NBA players will want to play soon to maximize their earning potential. So it may be a good idea for them to speak up and not have LeBron James just be the general voice for all players in the NBA. I don't know. That's just a thought. Now, I saw something today late coming in. Um, actually, just came across my phone right now as a recording that it looks like the vote for the December 22nd start date is going to go through. I kind of had a suspicion that it would after hearing the financials and what's at stake financially for the league. So, yeah. So it looks like the NBA is coming back soon. So there's going to be a lot of NBA stuff to talk about coming up. Uh, the NBA draft is going to be soon in November. Free agency is going to be quick. Um, and yeah, the NBA season looks like it's going to be starting December 22nd, 72 game season. It should be, uh, it should be interesting to see what free agency looks like and what the cap looks like with all the financial issues that the NBA had. With that said, it's time to bring on tonight's guest to talk about LA's great sports run of late in just a moment. So I teased it before. Um, obviously, you all know that uh, I've said many a times that I am uh, generally pretty anti-Lakers. I am pretty anti-LeBron James. Um, I, am not, I was not running from speaking about the Lakers championship. Uh, it was uh, an impressive feat to say the least. So, but I had to bring on a uh, a native uh, Los Angeles guy. Uh, you guys have heard him before. He's been on the show before, Mr. Josh Friedman. Josh, what's going on, man? Uh, excited, excited, Aaron. Good to be here. Glad to celebrate with you guys, and uh, excited to talk about it. Uh, relax with the celebration, all right? So, <laughs> I, I, so you and I are in a. Um, are, are in a group chat uh, among other Angelinos uh, who have had uh, a lot of you know, fun at my expense, considering I uh, basically picked against the Lakers every single round. So this is your opportunity right now to, uh, to, to rub it in a little bit. Uh, so how does it feel that the Lakers are back on top? Um, how does it feel to uh, prove me wrong? Uh, just, just give me your overall thoughts since the Lakers have won the title. I know it's been, you know, about two and a half weeks since they've won, but you know, just give me the vibes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's been ten years, but um, you know, just looking back at the team in 2010 that won last, it's just, it's been such a. We've been through, we've been through a lot of lineups and a lot of, a lot of players, and it's really. Nice to be back in it and back on top. Uh, I, I will say that the the year, you know, it feels different than any other title before, for sure. Um, you know, whether it be the fact that it was the bubble, non-staple center, no parade in L.A., um, that's definitely part of it. And just, just the, the the makeup of the lineup and the, the newness of the team and, and uh, 
getting used to all these players at the same time and, uh, you know, <laughs> learning to like them in, in moments that they haven't been in before. Um, it's a very different feeling, sort of like an instant championship type of thing. Uh, so it, it doesn't, doesn't lessen any of the joy, uh, but definitely different than ever before. So along this run, um, and I was very, obviously, I was, as I said many times, I was very skeptical. Uh, and, and even after they won this title, still kind of skeptical of this Lakers roster as a whole. Obviously, you have, you know, the two, the two stars – uh, LeBron and Davis, but outside of those guys, it, it, it's kind of been a mishmash and there, there were a lot of signs to, to point to that it wasn't just going to be enough that having LeBron and Davis and this sort of motley crew of dudes wasn't going to be enough. So, but I wanted to talk about the motley crew of dudes, AKA as Shaquille O'Neal calls them the others. Which yeah. of the others surprised you the most during the run? And a bunch of these guys are free agents, whether it's uh, Dwight Howard, it's KCP, it's Rondo. So which of these guys would you be comfortable bringing back, given the fact that, you know, the cap may not be as high and everybody who's coming off a title generally gets a little bit of a bump in salary, maybe more so than they actually deserve. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it was quite a mishmash and, uh, it was, it was like a guessing game, game to game, series to series, uh, who were going to be the, the, you know, third, fourth and fifth factors, um, in, in victories. Um, I definitely, you know, it, it, it's hard to talk, begin this conversation with, without starting talking about Rajon Rondo and the, the real existence of playoff Rondo, um, and how we should not overlook that by any means. Um, I would love to bring back Rondo, if if not for anything other than the playoffs. <laughs> so you know, almost like give him a rest the whole regular season and let let other guys get reps, um, and, and allow him to do his thing when the time comes. Uh, biggest with him was just his shooting. I mean, I think you know, being on the other side of thirty has definitely slowed him down. But if if he's gonna if they're gonna give him room to shoot. Uh, and he's going to shoot at, you know, above 35%. I don't know if we can realistically expect him to shoot over 40% during the season, but to replicate, you know, anywhere near that was just incredible. And he's got the veteran savvy. He's got a basketball IQ. Um, from what I understand and what I heard from different guys on the podcast, um, particularly Jerry Dudley, uh, was that, he, you know, he's just a master of film and how he influences the whole team. And I think he's just sort of like that, that lieutenant to LeBron's colonel um, in terms of getting the team focused. I think he is I, – I, I would love to see him back more than anybody else that's a free agent, to be honest, even though you could say on a uh, minute, minutes per game or number, number of games in the season, his impact might have been less. But when it mattered most, I think, um, I think he's crucial, uh, a crucial piece. Uh, certainly, I do not want to see him sign with the Clippers. So I've seen reports of that. <laughs> and uh, right. I, that would probably be worst case scenario for him to leave and sign with the Clippers. I guess it matters what the number is, right? Like what the salary right. number is. Because you can't – and I know the playoff thing is great, but, you, but like he was terrible in the regular season. Like he was terrible for them. Um, and you can't pay a premium given, you know, the way the cap works – for a guy who's just going to play in the playoffs, yeah. right? It, it, no, you just can't. Right. If we're talking 
if we're talking, you know, upwards of 10 mil a year, I, I don't think that's anywhere near. Uh, I, I don't think Rob Polinka is going to go go that high. I think, you know, and I, I think most of the most of the returning players would even be be on board with that. They understand the cap limitations um, and, and getting everybody uh, uh, a bigger piece of the pie. But um, but yeah, you know, hopefully hopefully he understands the situation and and building his legacy and how building his legacy would you know we can do it again in L.A. Uh, it, it, you know, that, that might be worth more to him than the couple millions he might get on a contract. So, you know, who knows? I'm, 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 I'm still hoping for that. Uh, my second guy um, that just surprised me the most was, uh, was Caldwell Pope, KCP. Um, I mean, another free agent. Yeah. He, you know, we, I think we've resigned him before in the past. Uh, I know he's a clutch agent, a, a clutch player. So I'm hoping that that gives us some head start there in bringing him back. Um, you know, he definitely had his ups and downs, and he has his moments where he doesn't play so well. Uh, but, uh, but I thought not only his, his spot-up shooting, um, he has the ability, you know, as we saw, I think even in game six against Miami, when it's, you know, when he needs to put the ball on the floor and go to the basket, he can. Um, and, uh, and, and, and his defense, his defense, his energy, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things, people, when we talk about the Lakers championship, people want to focus on – uh, scoring and LeBron and AD and all they bring to the table and talent-wise, um, I thought the defensive effort was astounding, was maybe their biggest strength, right? We wouldn't call them the biggest shooting team. We wouldn't call them the biggest, in, you know, power inside the paint team, although I guess you could argue LeBron and AD are probably uh, uh, pretty unstoppable inside. Well, I yeah, well, I mean, LeBron's, LeBron's shooting percentage at the rim throughout the entire playoffs was, was just absurd. It was absurd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but, but, it, but I, I still think, even with all that, I think their defensive strategy and intensity to all the different matchups. I mean, to, to, to switch from from Lillard and Harden to then you know focus on Jokic and the pick and roll with 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 Murray and 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 then in the finals with Jimmy Butler. I think their defensive strategy and defensive effort was probably their 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 biggest key to winning the finals. Um, and I think uh, Caldwell Pope was a big part of that defense and that energy and, and rotating in the right places. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see him resign again, assuming we can work out the money um, and, and keep, you know, keep guys at a reasonable price without breaking the bank, uh, at least in the long term. But, uh, if you know, if guys are willing to take shorter deals um, for a little bit more cash while LeBron and AD are locked up and we're title contenders, I'm more than, you know, I, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, no, it, the, the Lakers, from an outsider who is clearly, uh, you know, rooting against the Lakers, the, and not just because I didn't necessarily like the Lakers, but I, uh, I, I was frustrated, I guess, in the sense with, like, teams that have, like, the uh, that clear on-off switch. It's like where you can't tell, like, sometimes the on-off switch doesn't work, right? It just doesn't turn on when you want it to turn on. But the Lakers defensively, you know, flipped that switch and it turned on. And that was easily, easily the most, um, you know, the most impressive part about their run. Because as you mentioned, they were incredibly versatile in terms of how they, they attacked their defensive, um, their defensive strategies because they went against a whole bunch of different guys, you know, and a whole bunch of different styles of offenses. But uh, so just back to the free agency stuff for a second. Uh, if you had to pick one between Caldwell Pope and Rondo, because the Danny Green contract 
he's guaranteed for this year, and that may be the reason why they can't bring yeah. him who would you give the uh, who would you give the uh, the contract to? Yeah, so I, I right. So bringing up Danny Green is a great point. I, I think that you know ideally, if they could even move him, although I do think Danny was defensively a major part of that championship, but maybe an easier piece to replace. Um, you know, assuming they can't move his contract, which you know, one year, fifteen million, maybe at the trade deadline is possible, but I'm not sure about before the season. Um, I think I got to say, uh, you know, to go with KCP over Rondo as a priority, um, you know, KCB functions, uh, he, he functions well with LeBron on the court or AD as that spot up sh- corner shooter and that defensive, um, you know, not stopper, but, but versatile defender. Um, while Rondo was biggest for us when, where, when LeBron was out and he took over ball handling duties or, when Davis needed a rest and he became an additional playmaker uh, when we, you know, when we, when, when our, our one and two guys had their breaks and needed breaks, um, but obviously played uh, lesser minutes, you know, it's almost like finding someone to finding a playmaker to fill in when LeBron needs to take a rest might be more um, easily replaced. However, that seems as opposed to finding someone who understands how to flourish and play with LeBron, which I actually think is um, uh, uh, can be harder at times. It's funny you say that. If I actually had to choose, if I if I were the Lakers, I'd actually. It's weird to say this because I just detailed how you can't pay somebody for just playoff performance, but I'd actually choose Rondo. Um, I, I just think Rondo has has this sort of edge, right? Has this sort of edge to him. And I think LeBron needs that uh, in terms of, of a teammate that he's that can kind of stand up to him a little bit in terms of where it's not just the LeBron show and the LeBronettes. And, and I think that aspect to it would, would give Rondo the edge because as we've seen it throughout, you know, throughout the bubble, like KCP has moments where he just can't hit the side of a barn. Right. And if you already have Danny green at, at a similar number than what KCP is going to want, and you can't have both. I think I would I would take Rondo and just bite the bullet on Danny Green for a year. Yeah, so I, I you know I, I normally agree with that, and I, I wonder if I would have said the same thing last summer. Um, I, I I wonder with a year of experience and a, a title under their belt, whether you know whether you know, and we've heard stories of of AD holding LeBron accountable on defense from the beginning. Um, I, I wonder if everybody grows a little bit from that experience and everybody gains a little bit more of that edge. I, I don't think anyone's going to get to the, the IQ that we're talking about that Rondo has in his film study and all th- things like that. But in terms of, uh, of, of that edge, of keeping people focused, you know, whether it's AD steps up in that area or whether KCP comes, becomes more consistent now that he's A, done it and had the experience at the highest level so he's got more confidence in himself. I wonder if there's growth for those guys and we sort of know um, what Rondo brings. Uh, you know, I wonder if I can see growth in other players that might help supplement uh, if, if Rondo does leave. The crazy thing is that none of that may matter because KCP is a clutch client and your best player has uh, a percentage of uh, the clutch agency, which is against the rules, but I'm not going to trash on LeBron too much today. Cause uh, you know, I said I wasn't going to. Okay. Trash. So, 
trashing for trashing his uh his creative business side. I, I, it's a conflict of interest, and I'm sure it's against the league rules. Uh, but whatever, whatever. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not, you're not going to bait me into doing it, and I'm not going to do it. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you one quick thing before we go. Uh, you know, talk about the, you know, the Lakers on the court a little bit. Um, throughout this run, right? Laker fans seemed very, very, very thin-skinned throughout this run. And they had this thing that everybody was against them. It, it, the, it's the Joe Buck syndrome, everybody, that, he, that Joe Buck hates everybody's favorite team. Why do, you, why do you guys act this way? You have more bandwagon fans than anybody. Why do you act this way? You know, I, I can't attest to the number of bandwagon fans. I know that, uh, you know, most of the circles in which I run are, are L.A. born and bred uh, uh, fellows. So, um, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that there have been, you know, I guess you can call them LeBron fans that have sort of become Laker fans. I know I have two good friends who were LeBron fans previously um, who have lived in Cleveland in the past. And, you know, they were rooting for the Lakers um, as a fan of LeBron. Oh, those are the worst type of people. Ew. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 you know, it made it easier. You know, it, listen, we're in the generation where, you know, there's so much player movement. You know, kids are growing up liking players as opposed to teams. Um, and when a t- player changes teams, they get that new jersey of that new team, regardless of what team it is, assuming, uh, assuming you know, he doesn't go in division to, to a rival. Um, I can't, I can't, but, uh, I, can't I can't respect that. Especially, especially Cleveland and LeBron, considering what LeBron did to Cleveland twice. But whatever, that that's neither here nor there. Habit, happens to be the two guys I was referencing weren't uh, aren't Cleveland-born guys, but have lived there. But anyway, uh, okay, that makes it a little different. A little different, but anyways, uh, yeah. So there, you know, I definitely don't. I'm not as aware of the Laker bandwagon fans, but I I think that. Um, the Lakers almost, you know, as you could see in LeBron's post-celebration speech about, um, you know, g- giving him the respect he believes he deserves. Um, you know, I-, I think you saw LeBron react the same way to a lot of the media uh, uh, comments and-, and-, and focus, you know, similar to how a lot of us Laker fans were, uh, were-, were responding most of the time, you know, to see experts pick other teams uh, you know, uh, round after round and pick against LeBron and almost like act as if he hasn't been doing this for so long. Um, you know, we sort of, t- we, we sort of took that on our own and took that on, you know, it was like, we, we wanted to defend LeBron in that position um, and, and make sure that everyone was giving him the respect that he deserves. I think everyone, uh, everyone knew AD was one of the most talented players. And it's almost like uh, how, how people couldn't think that this new, uh, this new Laker duo wouldn't get to the finals against unproven, unproven, you know, whether it was Jokic and Murray or Butler and Bam uh, uh, or Lillard or Harden, guys who haven't even been to the finals and yet experts were picking against the Lakers uh, was more shocking to us, to us than anything else. And, and to tell you the truth, I think that all stems from really uh, a lack of respect for Frank Vogel and the work that he does. Um, and just the, the game plan and the way he was able to, you know, he and LeBron were able to flip that switch and, 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 uh, and really keep focus in the bubble, which I, I don't think anybody, the media was really fully aware of how challenging the bubble was. 
um, yeah, I think it was, you know, everyone feeling that lack of respect um, and, and really wanting uh, the media and, and, and all the reporters and the experts to, uh, to, to really give us what they deserve. I, I, want, I want you to hold that thought about the LeBron asking for his respect thing because I, I want to get into that in a second. But, but I, yeah, I think that's where it stems from. I think that the fans responding in a way of, you know, why are experts picking against us? I, I think, you know, we, and we can talk about it more later, but, you know, that, that's, I think, where it's stemming from, of just seeing, uh, uh, seeing team after round after round, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and all those players are really talented. Jokic and Murray and Butler and Bam, but uh, but you know nowhere nowhere near the the realm of experience and provenness that LeBron has on his track record to to put anywhere near him. Well, I'll tell you why people are picking against you because you guys were basically a two man team. You were a two man team on paper. Caldwell Pope, you know he uh, he had great moments in the finals, but he had moments in the playoffs where he shot twenty nine percent, right? Rondo. Yeah, he had a he had a great stretch shooting the ball, but he couldn't shoot. I mean, normally, Kyle Kuzma was not very good at playing basketball. Like that's why they picked against you. And everybody has respect for LeBron James as a basketball player, even if they don't consider him like the greatest ever play, which he isn't. Like this whole notion that like LeBron needs his it's it's just ridiculous. But whatever, we, we, we'll touch on that in a second. But. I, I wanted to ask you specifically about Anthony Davis. Um, how has your perception of Anthony Davis changed since the playoffs? Because for a guy as great as he is and as talented as he is, he still has too many moments where he's kind of a no-show. It, it's still too up and down for me. Um, what say you? You know, it's, it's hard to, you know, when you talk about the long line of Laker centers, um, great Laker centers, and you think uh, how all of them could, you know, whether it was Shaq or even Pau Gasol, um, Kareem, how they could just get down on the block and you could hand them the ball and you just get out of their way and let them work. Um, you know, it's not that, it's not the same with AD. Um you know, we've sort of learned, you know, you know, I, 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 I can't say for sure whether he was, you know, whether he could be in better shape, um, but he definitely looked like he wasn't uh, um, creating as much position down low as, as I think we would have thought going in because um, he is so incredible around the rim. Um, so, to, you know, and he is able to play back, uh, back to the basket. So I would have thought, you know, he would have been more demanding in the low post and, no, as I'm learning, you know, at least currently, as cur as currently constructed, his body that isn't necessarily that way. I don't think he's got that shrink uh, below the waist yet in those strong legs to really um, uh, uh, plant down low and, and and hold his position. And you know, and he is more of a spot up guy who can get to the basket with with moves. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's just a different expectation than I think I would have would have had. And certainly compared to some of the other great Laker centers, just functions differently. And I think as a result, you know, he needs he needs a little bit more to get him the ball in, uh, uh, in you know, in, in an area to be successful, as opposed to him creating his own area to be successful. Uh, and, and you know, I, I think that's an area for him to work on. Um, and, and you know, what I would say is I think that when he wasn't necessarily performing on the offensive end, I think he still had an incredible impact on the on the defensive end and his versatility there 
Um, and, uh, you know, we were able to pull it out even with some, some odd rough games. Um, and hopefully that this is all a building experience that improves consistency. We get in the best shape we can. Um, I, I was actually most impressed that he was able to, to be as healthy as he was. He had, you know, he has a history of being injury, uh, injury prone. Um, and even that twisted ankle, I can't remember now if it was in the conference finals or the championship when he twisted his ankle, uh, a sprained ankle. And I was worried he'd miss some time there and he was still able to pull it out. So, you know, I got to give him the props for the toughness and sticking through and being there when we needed him the most. I'll say this about Davis, because, uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be like a statement with, with a question mixed in. Um, I'll say this about Davis. The defensive versatility that he showed, whether it was guarding, sometimes Jokic, whether it was guarding Jimmy Butler, whether it was help, like he was a defensive menace. And even in games where he was a no-show offensively, like it really never let it affect his uh, defensive performance, which was, which was great. I mean, that, that, that's how, that's what winning players do, right? They, they find the ways to contribute, even though they don't have to go offensively, even though I do believe that he takes himself out of games offensively, just because he's, he's just a little passive and he's, and he's a little soft, right? Offensively, he's a little soft. Defensively, definitely not. My, my thing with Davis was, and, and I was listening to a whole bunch of different people, that he was going to be the MVP of the finals, you know, that his plus-minus numbers were insane. Were like LeBron, he was like a plus-15 where LeBron was like a minus-2. And I just wanted to tell these people, like, like uh, I know the stats are what they are, but, like, are you watching what's happening? Like, didn't you see what the flow is? Like, LeBron is the, is the straw that stirs the drink, right? He always has been, and he always will be. And this notion that Davis was the MVP of the finals was crazy to me because, A, like, LeBron's the orchestrator. He's the orchestrator of everything they do. And, like, the MVP of the finals can't have certain games where he's just a no-show on one side of the court. Like, he just can't. And uh, and there's this there's this narrative that, that Davis – um, is a top five player in the league. And I just want to push back on this because we've seen what Davis is when he's not playing with LeBron, right? We've seen this. If you're a top five player in the league, you elevate your roster to make the playoffs every single year. And they, and the, the excuse me, the Pelicans made the playoffs two out of eight years. Now it's not always his fault for the Pelicans incompetences, but still like besides for that run where they beat Portland and they lost to Golden State in the second round, there wasn't really anything there. And I, I just, to me, like the whole Davis thing, like drives, it just drives me crazy. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think there's a lot left to be desired in New Orleans, the training staff and the number of injuries that they no had. Question. Medical staff, I, I, you know, a lot of questions that I'd have surrounding his time there. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know, I think you, and, and, and even AD has talked about this, how LeBron has come to him at, at moments and pushed him to shoot more. And he definitely has that, you know, passive, more passive nature. Um, certainly on the offensive end, it sounds like he was pushing LeBron on the defensive end. So it certainly sounds like he's more assertive there. And hopefully it's a role that he grows into. But I, I agree with you. I think that the NBA, and, and this goes to a little bit of what I've heard in other areas and similarly with baseball, 
is, you know, you know, you can't just follow the numbers. Uh, you have to watch the games. You have to understand the feel for the game. And you have to understand who's, who's orchestrating everything and, and who's, got their, who's got their foot on the gas pedal and, and who's just a passenger in the car. And, uh, you know, I think it's really hard to be a, a top five or a top ten player even in the NBA currently if you're, not a, if you're not a ball handler, if you're not a person who's orchestrating the offense. Um, you know, if you, you know, you know, we, we can call it, Jokic might be an exception there because his passing is just so incredible that it, he sort of becomes that engine, um, that, that, that gets his team going and he is sort of that driver, but you know, uh, wings and guards have sort of just taken over the league and that, you know, they create that space with their, with their shooting and with their ball handling, um, and, and bigs are, you know, and it's super talent, you know, it's very important to have a super talented big especially like AD, who's as versatile as he is, especially with his three-point shooting, which, you know, if continues, we could see an incredible jump. Um, if we could see it continue to grow. But, uh, but yeah, I would agree with you. It's certainly a, a, a ball-handling-driven league or a playmaking-driven league. And if you're, not, if you're not one of those type of players, it's certainly hard, hard to put you up there in the upper echelon uh, of, you know, whether it's MVP conversation or whether it's top, you know, all, top five NBA, whatever it may be. Um, I think talent-wise, in terms of, you know, his range of, like, literally doing everything on the court, you know. It oh, might no be, question. No it question. Might be LeBron and, you know, maybe Giannis in those conversations of those who can You're do right. everything. You're right. No question. Court. That's why a lot of people put him in that conversation of either MVP or, or, um, or top five in the league. Uh, but I, I would agree with you that if you were, if you were selecting, um, you know, you were selecting from scratch, uh, you're, you're drafting the NBA, you're selecting players, you know, you're taking guys who, who have the ball in their hands, um, you know, at the, at the most crucial moments that are creating plays and, 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 and making plays for others. Uh, you're, you're picking them for someone, for example, like, like a Damian Lillard, right? It's, you know, it's almost like Damian Lillard will carry that team year after year after year after year. Without, you know, without a another All NBA player to a six, seven, five, five, six, seven, eight seed, and he's carrying that team um, while AD's teams, while while he's been the focal point, have suffered more. So I certainly, I certainly would agree with that. Point. It's funny you say that because I actually, in in my arbitrary rankings, I'd actually have Davis uh, ahead of ahead of Lillard in this respect. But before we go on to LeBron, because we have to have the LeBron conversation, um, you know, in in the next couple of moments. What if I told you this? Because uh, for, I guess it's a two-part thing. If you're t- drafting a team from scratch, who are you taking first, Jokic or, or Davis? And the second, the second question is, if I said to you this, if you swapped Jokic and Davis, what would be the result for okay, each one, team? Awesome questions. Love the questions. Um, I'm pretty sure I draft Davis, uh, and I don't know if they still win the championship with Jokic. Um, I think that AD's. I, I think it just comes down to defense. Uh, I know Jokic creates more on offense, um, uh, but you know, in today's NBA, you know, if you saw the teams that were there at the end, and maybe Denver was the exception to this. And that was mainly because the Clippers just fell off a cliff. Um, the teams that were there at the end were versatile defensive teams. Uh, Boston, Miami, 
the Lakers, they, they've got wings. They've got guys to switch. Um, they're running up and down the floor. And, you know, the one area that, that Jokic's game, which is uh, uh, lacking, is, is the defensive side and, the, and you know, uh, his athleticism. And, and while he makes up for that with incredible IQ and incredible passing, um, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I, yeah, ultimately at the end, I think, I think that's when you come down to the playoffs, you need to be able to get stops. Interesting. It's funny you say that because I, I initially thought that, at least for the regular season, I and mean, we've seen that there's a major difference between playoff basketball and regular season basketball. I, I don't think that I don't think the difference has been has been bigger in terms of of how it looks and and, and what the results are. Us because if if just for an entire for an 82 game schedule. I think if you switch the two, I think the Lakers would be just as good and Denver would be worse in terms of number of win totals. I would agree with um, you. I agree with that. Uh, in the playoffs, I, I'd like to I'd like to say that that would hold true, but but you know Davis is really is really a special a special defensive player when he when he's engaged, and maybe he needs to play with LeBron to be that engaged defensive player. Uh, he's just yeah, he's just. Really- He's just maddening to me. He's just maddening to me. But I, I, I think that you know, I think that it's like uh, the, 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 the really to answer that question is is how do you want to build your roster and who's your number two, right? It's like you know, my ceiling is probably higher with Davis if I can get the the, the right guy next to him. In this case, being LeBron, um, or you know, whatever, whoever it might have been, it doesn't only have to be LeBron, but another top level talent if I can get that person next to him you know he, he probably has a higher ceiling I think Jokic has the lower ceiling but you could argue that more guys would have been more success more guys would have been successful next to him um so it's a really tough question to answer I think it would depend on the roster uh and and that's why I'm not sure that the playoffs would still work out that way right would win but I do agree with you that given the regular season if you put Jokic you swap them on teams Denver is worse and LA is probably better for sure. I would agree with that. I, I, I just, it's funny that Davis has the, the natural gifts and the talents to be uh, the best player in the league. And it just seems to me like he's the most overqualified, like one a to a one. And, and it's just weird. I, I, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, it's strange to me, but yeah, that, that that's Davis. I mean, but, to the notion that he was ever going to win finals MVP was, was laughable because of the series LeBron had and who LeBron is. So let, let's, let's do it. We got to do it. Laker fans relationship with LeBron. Um, it's been a complicated relationship. Uh, there was always this Kobe versus LeBron undercurrent that I still think exists. So, and LeBron is a great basketball player. He's as cringeworthy as ever in terms of the things he says and the things he does, and it turns a lot of people off. So where are Laker fans at with LeBron today? Oh, we're 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 sitting we're sitting in a in a lounge chair smoking that cigar next to him. Um, it, it was it was yeah it it was odd it was odd you know I said at the time that LeBron signed I remember I landed I flew back from LA I landed on the East Coast I turned on my phone. And I saw that LeBron signed. And, um, you know, I, I just remember immediately thinking that the, the Lakers had never in my lifetime signed a player 
who was more successful before he got there than afterwards. I think it was unique. It was a really unique signing. Shaq was more – you know, he hadn't won a title before. He was an extremely talented player, but he hadn't won a title before. Right. Um, Al was a talented player, but hadn't won a title before. Even Kareem had won, you know, a title, but wasn't an all-time – you know, he probably wasn't all-time, but maybe not the same degree. He became more successful afterwards. Magic was our, our homegrown player. So it was definitely a unique signing to bring in a guy who had so much success and bring him here afterwards. Um, and, yeah, it was it was a tough transition. You saw uh, Kobe murals. Um, I remember that summer uh, people painted LeBron murals and, you know, and, and they erased them and they painted Kobe murals on top, um, obviously before the tragedy and all, all Kobe murals uh, uh, went up all over the city anyways. But, um, but, yeah, it was not an immediate acceptance. I think that people felt like LeBron, LeBron was a heat or a, or a calf before he was a Laker. Um, and I think that, you know, while I wouldn't necessarily think of him only as a Laker now, um, I definitely think of him as part of Laker history. And that, you know, that's, that's granted him an acceptance to the, you know, I don't want to call it the Laker Hall of Fame, but, you know, to, to Laker history. I know we, we discussed whether his jersey boot would be retired. I, okay, I so let's do it. Hold on, hold on, because that was my next question. I saw a lot of stuff on social media about do you retire LeBron James's jersey in the Laker rafters? Uh, this is, as somebody who appreciates, you know, leg legacy fan bases, I am a part of a legacy fan base. I'm not super successful legacy fan base, um, but a legacy fan base, right? A, a knowledgeable fan base that appreciates all the greats that came, that came before them and the, that the most current thing is not the, just the greatest thing, okay? That's where I'm coming from. So what say you for, you know, speaker of Laker Nation, when they say we should put LeBron James's jersey in the rafters already. What say you to this? After the two years, might I add you, at the current moment, what say you? Yeah, so I think that – I think you definitely have some people who would say yes. Uh, it's been a long drought, and people are really excited, and a lot of that might be some recency bias. Um, I think that if he were to end his career with the Lakers right now – uh, we would not consider Thank a you! Jersey retirement. Um, I think that when people are saying that we would, that we would do so, that the Lakers would retire his jersey, um, they are assuming that he is, you know, they're, they're thinking he's here for another three, two, three years. Um, whether we, I, I will say this, if he's, if he's here for another two, if he's in LA for another two, three years, and they make the playoffs, and they battle in the playoffs, and he and not necessarily wins another one, but he spent four, you know, end up being four or five years with the team and they got a title out of it. I wouldn't be against. Fine. Uh, I can understand that. Right. Cause you know, it yeah. felt, it felt like he, he battled with us, right. He was in the trenches with us. He wore, he wore that logo on his chest. He rep, he represented the team for, for a, a good amount of time. And he brought a title to LA. That's a very different conversation than if he were to end his career right now and it was a two-year stint with the Lakers, we would see this as like, hey, remember that time when we dreamt that LeBron was on the Lakers? Oh, yeah, that didn't last long. So I don't think that I would retire his jersey right now, 
But assuming he does stay a few more years, even without winning a title, if they're in the playoffs and they go deep in the playoffs, you know, it's assuming not first-round exits. You know, if they end up losing a Curry in the Warriors or, you know, some, you know, uh, if they had lost, you know, if they lose to the Clippers moving forward, that would change the conversation for me to where I would say, okay, he, you know, he battled for us for a good number of years, brought us a championship, and I would want to celebrate that. That is a very fair opinion. And that, that, and that's honestly where I stand. Like, you need to have a body of work, right? The Lakers aren't just some other franchise, right? Like, this is, you know, arguably the most storied franchise in NBA history that's had great players throughout their entire history that have played many years with this team. Like, to say that LeBron, after two years, by the way, last year, where he mailed in a third of the season and they didn't make the playoffs, right? So that's his first season there. And then this year, obviously, the title team with Davis and, and not taking anything away from that. But after two years, given what he's put into that franchise, for you to argue that he should, his place should already, given what he's accomplished in L.A., should he, his number should be in the rafters. Like, that's a slap in the face to Jerry West. Like, that's a slap in the face to Magic Johnson. It's a slap in the face to Kareem, to Shaq, to Kobe. Like, dudes who put in work and had, and had a catalog of work. I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, especially given the fact that before LeBron signed, and even after he signed, the complicated relationship that he had with the whole him and Kobe thing. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. And I was pushing back on Twitter and people were like, were, were going crazy. Like, oh, but you're just a Knicks fan. Like you don't get it. It's like, I do get it because I understand history and, and valuing history. And it can't just be, you know, the most recent thing is the grace. It, it drove me irrationally nuts. Aaron, I, I, would, I would say as a comp is – you know, does Kawhi's does Kawhi's jersey get retired in Toronto? The Raptors aren't the Lakers. No, I would agree. Right. I, I, I would I would point that out. I would say, would it surprise me if they did? My answer would be no. I I would totally understand if they did. Um, right. But to compare the L.A. Lakers franchise, yeah, to you Toronto can't do it. Would be apples and oranges. So um, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. Like. Right. Exactly. You just can't because the Laker Laker fans should be better than that. They should have more pride than that. Because you know, it's just it hasn't just been the last five years for the Lakers. It's been you know you've seen a lot of success. Just just have more pride. Now, if he builds up a resume, no question, right? But after the first two years, I mean, come on now. To so, to, tra- to transition for you, um, <laughs> you know, as the hour is getting is getting late on us. I, I would not be against a Mookie Betts jersey retirement. So yeah, <laughs> we, we we were we were going we were going to talk about the Dodgers quickly also because they definitely did win the World Series. Now the Dodgers, unlike the Lakers, since their last title in '88, have had a tortured history. I mean, we're talking about the Frank McCord era. We're talking about you know stomach punch losses in the playoffs. I mean, look at Clayton Kershaw in terms of his playoff splits this year notwithstanding and how just the drastic difference between his regular season and the playoffs. I mean, the Dodger fans are, are exceedingly tortured. So 
Let me ask you this. Which title recently meant more to the city? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, it's such a good question because, you know, with the lack of parade and the, the, the oddness of the whole seasons and the, the games not being played in L.A., it, it like it makes that, that question a lot harder to answer. Um, you know, I, I, it's definitely more of a Lakers town than it is a Dodgers town. And the Lakers still rule just for their history, the richness of their history, um, owning, you know, owning the decade at the beginning of the century um, compared to the Dodger torture. Um, but, you know, to see the amount of fans that are at Dodger games consistently year after year, game after game, uh, being, you know, number one in attendance and consistently getting close to 50,000 per game um, while, while uh, uh while they may not have been successful, it certainly is a major contingency of the town. And I, I would say, and this goes back to a comment I made earlier about the, 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 you know, the Laker roster being so new and a lot of new players that we haven't had success with and haven't gone to the playoffs before. You know, KCP was on the team, but he hadn't been a playoff performer for us before. Uh, Rondo, you know, was on the team last year, but we didn't get to the playoffs. So a lot of that newness with a lot of the Laker players while with these Dodger players and certainly Clayton Kershaw, you know, I would say that Clayton Kershaw winning a title meant more to LA than LeBron winning a title. Right. If that, if that makes sense. So 100%, I would agree. While the number of fans may have, um, you know, the number of fans that celebrated may have been more for the Lakers theoretically or, 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 or uh, likely the, the, the fact that it meant more for the city of LA that Clayton Kershaw won a title was definitely a real thing that it meant more for us. And when we talk about our legacy as a, as a, as a, as a city to have one of the best pitchers of all times pitch for us and get that title. I think that meant more for us on that level, besides the fact that that core had been there for so long, you know, Turner has been there for, for, uh, you know, a good five, six years already. Jansen had been there for so long. Uh, Bellinger, this is already his fourth year gone to the third world series. Um, Seager, a lot of homegrown players that we, that, you know, a lot of fans had a lot more attachment to and seeing their development year after year. Um, you know, I can certainly see a lot more attachment. I can tell you personally that when the dot, when Mookie Betts hit that, uh, that solo shot in the bottom of the eighth in game six of the world series, um, I, I, I just, I was in tears about finally getting to that, to that championship moment and being able to celebrate that. I did not have, you know, while I had tremendous joy for the Lakers, uh, I was not crying in overcoming that that heartbreak and that sorrow. Um, you know, if, if that puts it into perspective a little bit. It's funny you say that. Looking from afar, I would agree with you. Even with, even with all the we did it for Kobe thing, right? Because obviously the Kobe, you know, passing looms looms large. But I, I would I would agree with you that it's the Dodgers. And and one last thing before, because I gotta let you go, because you you know you got some stuff to do today. Uh, and you're taking some time out of your day in your car to uh, to have this chat. I appreciate it. Uh, game six, right? Blake Snell is dealing. Okay, five and a third. He's given up two hits. He's given he's under 80 pitches. He gives up the second hit, and he's pulled right with Mookie Betts coming to the plate. What was your reaction? Um, I was uh, I was. I was in. I was in shock. I was in shock. I, I, you know, after seeing 
so many years, and, and I don't think I'm upset. I'm I'm as upset as everybody else was. Obviously, I'm a Dodger fan, so it worked out in our favor. Um, I, for years and years and years, I saw Roberts leave Clayton Kershaw two batters too long, right? Like I saw him pitch him into the sixth and seventh when Clayton was third time through the order, and I'm telling you. In so many of his starts, Aaron, if you look at the – don't look at the total numbers of earned runs of Clayton Kershaw's playoff history. Look at it by inning, right? The later the innings, the worse Clayton – the worse he pitched. And, you know, he'd leave him in for two, three batters longer because either we didn't have a good transitional bullpen guy or he believed that, you know, Clayton would pull through. Year after year, I saw Roberts leave him in too long, and we paid the price as a team. So I, only, I very much understand where Kevin Cash is coming from of wanting to get him out before it got worse. I think I was shocked that all it took to get him out was a barn single, right? A, 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 a hanging curve that hung in the zone, one bad pitch that led to a really quick pull um, uh, uh, was surprising. And it wasn't even hit that hard. It wasn't even yeah. hit that hard. Yeah, it was not. Was not was, it, 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 I think it was a line drive to center, so it was hit on a line, but not so hard. You know, I think I would have left him in for Mookie, and if Mookie gets a hit, uh, which at that point I think most of us would bet Mookie would not have gotten a hit, um, you, know, I, you know, if Mookie had gotten a hit, then I could see, all right, two hits in a row, we're at the top of the order, he doesn't look at, he looks off his game, I think I would have been more understanding of it, um, but to take him out and not even let him, you know, just on a barn single, uh, second hit of the game, first hit since, you know, a couple of innings, um, I don't think that was enough of a sign for me that he was off his game to take him out. It's it's interesting that you brought up the point with um, with Kershaw um, and and Dave Roberts uh, because and not not every not every you know situation is created equally and I can't go back and go through all the Kershaw numbers but you know all all this all the starts to to see if that you know super consistent in terms of what was happening in the innings before but like. Given the fact that Mookie, you know, had you know been handled by Snell relatively easily, given the Truck fact, that, yeah, given the fact that you know the the bullpen, the reliever that they put in, that the Rays put in, I'm forgetting his name. Had, had, yeah, he's he'd had like a couple of rough outings. It it yeah. just made no sense and. And I understand like analytics and we touched on this a little bit earlier and I understand that analytics are, are big in sports now, but if you don't have a feel, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like there's certain times where I, th- I really think analytics and I was sounding like the old man yelling from a cloud, but they keep you from winning. We see it in the NBA all the time. Look at the Houston Rockets. It's the same crap that tells me that a James Harden step back three when he's five for 20 is a more valuable shot than trying to get an uncontested shot from the free throw line. Like, it, it's the same stuff, and it, and it drives me nuts, and I, I couldn't believe it, given how the game was transpiring and given, you know, what Mookie Betts' success was against Blake Snell. I, I just – I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I think it boiled down to um, the score being 1-0 and Cash just not, not having faith that his offense was going to get off the ground. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I was shocked that – the Dodgers won game six, which was basically a bullpen game. And that was our closeout game, right? To win the closeout World Series with a bullpen game and the, the, the pitchers that they put in that Alex Wood pitched multiple innings when he hadn't pitched, hadn't pitched well for months or meaningful. He hadn't pitched meaningful innings for that team for months. 
uh, uh, there's a lot of shocking things that happened in that game. And I, I and, and it's almost like I agree with the, the hook because I do understand that the third, you know, I, I understand the numbers. Um, at the same time, I just think it was too quick. It was, it was still too quick. Even though I agree with it, uh, I'm sort of in the middle where I, you know, I don't think you can just leave Snell in there. You do have a strong bullpen. But the argument I've heard, which, which makes sense to me, then they should have brought in Fairbanks then, or they should have brought in Castillo then. They should have brought in their, their top guns if they thought that that was um, the most crucial moment. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, I, I've seen Roberts, you know, so many playoffs play the numbers and rely on guys with good numbers and not follow his feel. And I think a lot of us Dodger fans were just super excited to see him, uh, you know, hand the ball to Urias and trust him and see that he's been on for so long and pitching well and let him pitch numerous innings, um, which Roberts hadn't done before. And that was real growth on his part. Um, listen, Kevin Cash has got to go through those experiences just like Roberts did. And, you know, you learn to make the adjustment and balance uh, the numbers along with feel for the game. Dodger fans weren't really happy with, uh, with Dave Roberts over the years, from what I understand. So now you guys are okay with them? Um, I say a lot given a lot a lot is forgiven just like it's forgiven with Kershaw. Um, I I think that you know it, it definitely took him time to figure out what his best approach was, um, and I do think that I think the bullpen's always been a little bit of a weak link for us. So making the making the right moves for our bullpen has always been challenging. I think that's the part of our team that Andrew Friedman, you know, values the least, um, and, uh, and and I think. Uh, I think that's an area for improvement. So I, I do give Roberts a little bit of a leeway in some of the tough decisions he's had to make. Uh, and I think that's why Kershaw's always been left in a little bit too long. Um, but, uh, but you know, he, in the end, he didn't bring in Jansen, right? He didn't bring in his, his closer year after year. He trusted a guy who was pitching best and, and who all of us wanted to see in there, which was Urias. And, you know, it, while, while everything may not be forgiven, um, certainly given the fact that, you know, Houston was – not playing by the same by the same rules as everybody else in 2017, and the fact that we won in 2020 um, just 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 tells me that you know I think Roberts is a lot better of a manager than I think people give him credit for. Well, Josh, to be totally honest, I'm exceedingly jealous of um, your uh, your sports fandom right now. Um, I uh, it's it's been an unbelievable run. There's a lot to be jealous. We're in a good place. Yeah, it's a, an unbelievable run um, that you know. Los Angeles has had the last uh, three weeks and uh, I'm super appreciative that you took time uh, to talk about it. It needed to be spoken about. I wasn't running away from uh, giving the Lakers their shine um, to everybody who's asking me, when are you going to talk about the Lakers titles? Like, well, here we go. I definitely appreciate you, man. And we're going to have to do this sometime soon. Yeah. Aaron, uh, you know, book the date for next year when the NBA season's over, we can celebrate the next Lakers championship. Oh, stop it. All right. Good to speak to you, man. I'll speak to you later. Thanks again to my buddy Josh Friedman for taking the time sitting in his car to have this conversation with me. I said some nice stuff about the Lakers. Shocking. And that's episode 92 for the love of the game. Take us out, Jules Santana. And I'm thinking about getting at her. Okay, time to whistle out Hey, girl, you made my whistle blow. Dig don't bring it here, baby. Come on. Dig don't bring it here, baby. Come on. Hey, girl, let me see.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.